Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two octops. This week's episode, we're going to be focusing on acquired causes of underproduction anemias. We're going to go over the important details on iron deficiency anemia, vitamin B12 and folate deficiencies, as well as anemia of chronic disease, anemia of pregnancy, and a few other rare causes of underproduction anemias. This topic will come up again and again during consults, clinic, and of course, on your test days, as well as your ITEs. Definitely. There are so many different ways to classify anemias in terms of hemolytic, microcytic, underproduction, but this is not all comprehensive, but we're going to cover some of the highest yield underproduction anemias. And so how do we know if anemia is caused by underproduction? So the big thing that we need to think about with anemia, if it's underproduction, we're going to be looking at that reticulocyte count, which identifies the actual number of immature red blood cells. This is a percent, and so the normal value is approximately 1% of our red blood cells should be immature. More importantly, though, we utilize the reticulocyte index and absolute count. This corrects the reticulocyte count, which is a percent, for the level of anemia that is present. This is used to determine if an anemia, um, an anemic patient is mounting an appropriate response or if they have inadequate marrow response, either from the marrow itself or inadequate nutrition, so nutritional deficiencies, or if the blood loss is too rapid for the reticulocyte response to keep up. And so a reticulocyte index greater than or equal to two indicates adequate response. So anything less than that, we're thinking that this is anemia of underproduction. Definitely. And so let's first talk about one of the most common things we see in hematology, which is iron deficiency anemia. So worldwide, iron deficiency is the most common cause of anemia. Labs will show microcytic anemia, and so that means a low MCV. Iron studies will show low iron, low transferrin saturation, low ferritin, which is our storage of iron, and high soluble transferrin receptor and a high total iron binding capacity. Essentially, what these labs are telling us is that there's low iron, low storage, but a high propensity to absorb as much iron from the GI as possible. Our blood smears are going to show that hypochromatic microcytic red blood cells, they're going to have varying shapes within them. And the causes of iron deficiency anemia can include blood loss. So these patients are losing blood. Examples that we need to be cognizant of as an adult hematologist is GI bleeding. Between that and menstruation, those are the two most common causes of iron deficiency in the Western world. But you can also have chronic hemolysis. So think about our sickle cell population, PNH patients, cardiac prosthetic valves that are shearing those red blood cells, dialysis patients, as well as idiopathic from frequent blood draws. You also can have excessive milk intake in children, which can lead to occult GI bleeds and also iron deficiencies. That's more of our pediatric case. The second cause of iron deficiency is inadequate iron supply. And so uh, examples of this are malabsorption from gastric bypass, inflammatory bowel disease, celiac spree, abnormal transferrin function, poor nutritional intake of iron, and this can happen a lot in the elderly. Absolutely. I think one of the key pearls you mentioned here is the soluble transferrin receptor, because unlike TIBC and ferritin, it's not affected by inflammation. So that can be a good way to figure out if someone has iron deficiency, if there's also acute inflammation or chronic disease also in the picture. And so can you next tell us about the forms of iron supplementation? 
Absolutely. So we need to correct our deficiencies by supplementing. And so heme iron, we can get this through meat or ingesting liver. And this is actually better absorbed than elemental iron. So preference, um, the easiest way to get iron into our body is by eating meat. The other is elemental iron. And so a few ways that we can supplement that in our patients who have iron deficiency, there is oral ferrous sulfate, and that is 325 milligrams, which has 66 milligrams of elemental iron. And we actually dose this every other day. We used to dose this daily up to three times a day, thinking the more was better. But now we know that daily oral iron actually increases hepcidin, thus reducing the absorption, whereas every other day dosing yields the highest iron absorption absorption in our patients. Vitamin C also aids with the absorption, whereas antacids decrease the absorption of iron. Other oral irons include ferrous fumarate and then liquid iron elixir if patients cannot swallow pills. Then outside of oral iron supplementation, we also have IV iron supplementation. And we use this in patients who can't tolerate or who are not absorbing oral iron. We use iron dextran, which we need to know that it carries a small risk of anaphylaxis, so we give a test dose before the full dose. Other IV irons include iron sucrose, iron gluconate, ferric carboxymaltose, and furomoxy. At all. Definitely. I think it's important to know that there are certain IV irons that are safer in pregnancy. So the two to remember for pregnancy are iron sucrose and ferric gluconate. And then another key pearl that Sam mentioned is that test dose for iron dextran because of the risk of anaphylaxis. And then you can actually give the full IV iron dose in one dose after that. Or some of the other formulations, you have to give multiple doses, which is more inconvenient for patients. But they're not really going to test you, I think, on dosing and things like that. But you'll remember some of those key pearls. And so let's talk about another massive category that we see all the time clinically, but also on board day. And can you tell me about anemia of chronic disease? Yep. So this is anemia that is seen in chronic inflammatory status, such as chronic illnesses, infections, autoimmune conditions, as well as cancers. This is caused by IL-6 from inflammation, which increases hepcidin, inhibiting the mobilization of iron, as well as the absorption of iron from the GI tract, leading to the labs showing increased ferritin. Remember, ferritin is an acute phase reactant, so it's high in inflammatory processes. We'll have a low reticulocyte count, low low serum iron, low total iron binding capacity, low transferrin saturation. The treatment for anemia of chronic disease is to treat whatever is causing that inflammatory state. So treat the problem, you fix the anemia. One caveat and one other, you know, pearl of this category is to remember HIV can also cause anemia of underproduction from inflammation, chronic disease, also chronic infections, as well as medications that we use to treat the virus. Um, Also, there is a viral infiltration of the marrow. And so treating the HIV virus with heart um, really does improve this anemia, anemia over time. And I will say, I think we had a question on the mechanism of action of anemia of chronic disease. So definitely remember that that high hepcidin Production inhibits iron release from macrophages and intestinal absorption of iron. So commit that to memory. And so next, let's move to anemia of pregnancy. So anemia pregnancy is multifactorial, and this is from an increase in plasma volume. So there's a little bit of dilutional anemia. Also, there's categories um, or a little bit of complexity with iron deficiency in some cases, folate deficiency in some cases due to increased requirements, B12 deficiency in some cases due to lack of intrinsic factor, which we'll talk about that next. 
and, and important to rule out other causes in pregnancy. So we're trying to rule out hemolytic anemias, GI loss, as well as aplastic anemias. Absolutely. There are so many different causes of anemia in pregnancy. And like I just mentioned, don't forget about iron, sucrose, and ferric gluconate being safest in pregnancy. And so next, let's talk about megaloblastic anemias. Can you tell me about B12 deficiency? Absolutely. So we all know folate and B12 are needed for red blood cell DNA synthesis and deficiency leads to megaloblastic anemia. But it's also important to remember that medications that interfere with DNA synthesis can also cause megaloblastic anemias. Some of these medicines, but they're not the comprehensive list, is methotrexate, azathioprine, hydrea or hydroxyurea, as well as others. When we're talking about purely B12 deficiency, though, B12 is absorbed in the terminal ileum when it's bound to intrinsic factor. If we have B12 deficiency, our blood smear is going to show macrocytosis, so larger red blood cells, as well as possibly hypersegmented neutrophils, and that's defined as greater than five lobes in the neutrophils. Our labs will show a low hemoglobin, of course we're talking anemia, an elevated MCV, we can also see neutropenia and thrombocytopenia, aka a pancytopenic picture in profound B12 deficiency. You'll see the low B12 level as well as a high methylmalonic acid or MMA. Symptoms of B12 deficiency is symptoms of anemia as well as you can see neurologic symptoms because B12 deficiency can lead to demyelination of the dorsal and lateral columns of the spinal cord. Causes of B12 deficiency can be either impaired absorption, so intrinsic factor deficiency, malabsorption from the terminal ileum or gastric resection, so they actually don't have the anatomy to absorb the B12, decreased pancreatic proteases. The second cause can be reduced intake from the diet, and so these are patients who maybe follow a vegan or vegetarian diet. Also, we need to be aware of that pernicious anemia causes B12 deficiency, and this is due to the destruction of the parietal cells would actually make the intrinsic factor needed for the absorption of B12. Our treatment for B12 deficiency, we can either replete it orally daily or intramuscular B12, which is daily for two weeks and then weekly until the anemia resolves, and then I am monthly for maintenance. Absolutely. I think it's also really important to always rule out B12 deficiency before you replete folate because it can exacerbate the symptoms. Another key thing that Sam mentioned is the methylmalonic acid. If the B12 is borderline, so between 200 and 300, you can send for methylmalonic acid to see if there actually is B12 deficiency and it will be high. And then what Sam mentioned about these parietal cells, these autoantibodies to intrinsic factor or parietal cells if there is not a clear cause of B12 deficiency, it's important to center this. And I definitely had a few patients with this in fellowship. And so can you next tell us about folate deficiency? Absolutely. So folate is absorbed through the duodenum or the proximal jejunum, and our bodies are actually able to store up to three months supply at a time. Our blood smears, again, are going to show that macrocytosis and possibly those hypersegmented neutrophils. Our labs are going to show the low hemoglobin as well as the elevated MCV. Causes of folate deficiency includes decreased dietary intake or inability to absorb. Possibly we can also see folate deficiency when there's increased red blood cell turnover, like hemolysis, and then also we can see this in alcoholism, which the alcoholism actually leads to folate deficiency due to dietary inadequacy, as well as intestinal malabsorption, decreased hepatic uptake, and increased body excretion, mainly through the urine of folate. 
Pregnancy requires increased folate needs, and folate deficiency is linked to neural tube defects in the growing fetus. So important for pregnant women to up that folate intake um, and to supplement when you're in the prenatal or natal state. Treatment for folate, for folate deficiency is giving it orally one milligram every single day. We always think about this, especially in our patients who have that chronic hemolysis. So in our sickle cell patients, PNH patients, they should be on folate regardless just so they are not getting deficiency. Definitely. One other key pearl is for patients on pemetrexid, <laughs> make sure that you give them folate and B12 prior to starting chemo. And so... Are there any other micronutrient deficiencies that can lead to decreased red blood cell production that we should know about for testing? Yes, there are. So a few other nutrient causes of red blood cell underproduction that is testable. One is copper deficiency. This is mean, but they can throw this one at you. You need to think about this in patients who are status post-gastric bypass or who actually have excessive zinc intake. So usually the vignette will give a person who's supplementing zinc for whatever multitude of reasons, and it's actually leading to copper deficiency, thus leading to underproduction anemia. Two other vitamins that can lead to anemia is vitamin A and vitamin vitamin E deficiencies, which can result in anemia as well. I agree. I think the boards love copper deficiency because the smear or sorry, the bone marrow biopsy can look like MDS. Mm-hmm. And if they're really mean, they can give you someone that takes, you know, a natural toothpaste, which can happen to have a lot of zinc. And then they want you to know that the patient has copper deficiency from too much zinc. Another weird one is dentures used to have a lot of zinc in them. Um, and so I think that was also like one of those buzzwords of the old vignettes, yeah. but I, I personally have not seen that in a vignette. Yeah. So hopefully they're not that mean, but know about it looking like MDS. And so lastly, can we briefly talk about renal impairment leading to underproduction anemia? Of course. So chronic kidney disease will lead to low reticulocyte count and underproduction anemia due to low levels of erythropoietin because the kidney isn't producing enough. You can see multifactorial anemia in these patients on dialysis due to the inflammatory state, repeated blood loss from lab draws, as well as the dialysis machine itself can keep some of the blood within, increased um, angiodysplasia from uremia, and secondary hyperparathyroidism leading to marrow suppression. The treatment for the this is giving erythropoietin supplementation to get a hemoglobin no greater than 12. That's an important number to note because if you push the hemoglobin greater than 12, these patients are at increased risk for clotting um, and thus it can add to morbidity and mortality in this population. It's also important to replete iron as well and we try to keep the transferrin greater than 20% or the ferritin storage greater than 100. So yes, absolutely. This is also really important to know. And so that was such a great overview, Sam. Can you tell us our key takeaways? Yep. So our key takeaways, basic anemia of underproduction workup includes, of course, looking at our CBC, our blood smears, our reticulocyte count, calculating that reticulocyte index. So it's correcting for the anemia, looking at iron studies, ferritin, which is our iron storage, B12 and folate labs. Iron deficiency anemia, again, this is caused either by blood loss or inadequate iron supply. It's going to show us that microcytic anemia, we need to rule out GI source malignancy in adults who have iron deficiencies. You need to be scoping them to look at where the blood loss is coming from. Treatment, you need to stop that blood loss if that's the cause, and we can supplement with either oral or IV iron. If you're choosing oral, do it every other day. If you're giving iron 
urinary dextrin, remember that test dose before you give them the full dose because of the anaphylactic risk. In anemia of chronic disease, this is caused by increase in IL-6 from the inflammation, causing increased hepcidin. The treatment is to reduce that inflammatory state, and the anemia will correct itself. For vitamin B12 deficiency, remember that B12 is absorbed in the terminal ileum, and it's bound to intrinsic factor. And this will give us a macrocytic anemia with neurologic symptoms from the demyelination of the dorsal and lateral columns of the spinal cord. We replace vitamin B12 either orally or intramuscular injections. Lastly, we have folate deficiency. And so remember, folate is absorbed through the duodenum or the proximal jejunum, and our bodies can store up to three months supply at a time. Folate deficiency is going to lead to the macrocytic anemia as well as neural tube defects in the fetuses, and we replace that orally. Absolutely. And so as always, thank you for listening. Good luck with studying. Please reach out to us with corrections or comments on our Instagram or Twitter to OncDocs.